I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zivyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. Hi, everybody. I'm thrilled to be partnering with Start Small, Think Big. You need to know about them. They help under-resourced entrepreneurs gain access to critical services they need to build sustainable small businesses that generate real wealth for themselves, their families, and their communities. They do this by engaging with a top-tier network of professional volunteers who provide free and high-quality legal, financial, and marketing support. Last year alone, their volunteer network provided 1,300 small businesses with pro bono support valued at $14-plus million. 95% of Start Small's businesses are women, minority, or under-resourced entrepreneurs. No other nonprofit organization in the country provides this kind of comprehensive support to the population. Start Small, Think Big has developed a page on their website called Shop Our Businesses. And this page features some of the businesses that they are supporting who are currently doing business online and need help now more than ever to support their businesses. So go to startsmallthinkbig.org and help out. Okay, settle in, listeners, because this is a long bio. Brad Meltzer is, like, unbelievably accomplished. So just listen to this because it's amazing. Brad Meltzer is the number one New York Times bestselling author of 12 thrillers, like The Escape Artist and The Fifth Assassin. He has written several nonfiction books, too, History Decoded, The First Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill George Washington, and now his latest adult book, The Lincoln Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill America's 16th President and Why It Failed, co-written with Josh Mensch, which goes on sale May 5th. Brad has also written gift and advice books like Heroes for My Daughter and My Son and the massively successful Ordinary People Change the World series of children's books like I Am Whoever. His latest in the series, illustrated by Christopher Eliopoulos, is I Am Leonardo da Vinci, which comes out April 14th, which is tomorrow at the time of my recording. Brad even writes comic books like Justice League of America, for which he won the prestigious Eisner Award. He helped find the missing 9-11 flag with his History Channel TV show, Brad Meltzer's Lost History, and has another show called Brad Meltzer's Decoded on the History Channel. He also has a show on PBS Kids called Xavier Riddle and the Secret Museum based on his I Am children's books. The Hollywood Reporter, understandably, put Brad on their list of Hollywood's 25 most powerful authors. Raised in Brooklyn and Miami, Brad graduated from the University of Michigan and Columbia Law School. He currently lives with his wife in Florida. Welcome, Brad. Thanks for coming on, Moms. I don't have time to read books. I appreciate you having me on. I am so excited to have you on. I honestly think you are the most prolific author I have ever dreamed of interviewing. (laughs) And my kids and I have read basically every one of your books in the I Am series. So this is like, they're going to flip out. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. If we can't do a mom's podcast and have, and and you haven't read the I Am books, we've failed, right? We've just not done our job. But but obviously, and, and you and I were kind of talking about overlapping people and trying to figure everyone out before we started this podcast. But obviously, you know, those books come from, you know, that same love. That first thing we were talking about when we started talking was our love for our kids, right? When you work on doing something for your kids, you'll just do anything, no matter how stupid or crazy. You'll eat out of boxes that you don't want to eat out. You'll get deliveries for whatever because you're just trying to do right by your kids. And and that's where these books came from is I just wanted my kids to have I was, you know, tired of them looking at reality TV show stars and people who are famous being famous and thinking that that's a hero. And I was like, I have so many better heroes I could give them. And the funny thing was I started with Amelia Earhart. I was like, I got Amelia Earhart. I'm going to give it to my daughter. She's going to love it. 
I told her, Amelia, Hart flew across the Atlantic Ocean. I figured she'd say, Dad, you're indeed the greatest father of all time. Thank you for teaching me such wonderful things. And she's like, big deal, Dad, everyone flies across the Atlantic. <laughs> like she was so unimpressed. And then I told her this amazing story about the Amelia Earhart, that when Amelia Earhart was seven years old, and this is true, she built a homemade roller coaster in her backyard. She took a wooden crate, she put roller skating wheels on the bottom of it. She shoved it to the roof of her tool shed. She gets on the crate, on the skating wheels, comes flying down the side, down piece of wood, lands, crashes, screams, something like that was amazing. And she later said that feeling she had when her stomach bottomed out from under her, that she wanted that feeling back again. And that's the first time Amelia Earhart ever flies. She's seven years old. And when I told my daughter that story, my daughter was like, dad, tell me that one again. And that's when I knew we were on the summit. So we started this whole line of nonfiction biographies, children's books. We started with I'm Amelia Earhart and I'm Abraham Lincoln. We did I am Rosa Parks and Albert Einstein, my son who loves sports, but I'm like, I have no patience for like millionaire sports heroes. I'm like, that's fame. You know, being famous is very different than being a hero. I always tell my son. So I say, you want to see what a hero looks like? Here, I wrote this book for you. It's called I Am Jackie Robinson. And then we did Helen Keller, where we put real braille in the book and the pages of the book go black when you get to those pages. And, and it says, here's how I see the world. You know, feel these dots. This is this is my name. We put real Braille into the book. She's like, my name's Helen. I watch, these books are obviously for little kids, you know, like four to 10 years old. But I watched my 18-year-old son had his eyes closed and he's feeling the pages of the book. And I walk in the room and he's like, dad, this one's actually good. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, actually, you know, like, but we did, I am Lucille Ball for my daughter because I wanted to have a female entertainment hero. I wasn't just famous for being thin and pretty that Lucy stood for the idea it's okay to be different. That's what makes us special is we're all different. We don't celebrate that anymore, but we need to. And Billie Jean King. We did Billie Jean King, but something amazing happened with the book series when the 2016 election happened. And this amazing thing happened. Two of our books started selling more than any others. And they were, I am Martin Luther King Jr. And I am George Washington. And it wasn't a Democrat or Republican thing even. It was just, it was that people were tired of putting on the TV when Hillary and Donald Trump were arguing more than ever in the, at the beginning of the 2016 election. Those books took off and people were tired of putting on the TV and seeing politicians what they wanted to show their kids were leaders. And we all know there's a huge difference between a politician and a leader. And since Donald Trump was elected, our book sales, you know, people are just tired of what they see on TV. They're tired of seeing someone who, you know, they want to find better leaders for their kids. And so, you know, they've used our books to kind of fight back in this divisiveness that we see in society today. And, and as you said, we did Billie Jean King. We did Sonia Sotomayor. We did Gandhi to teach mindfulness. We did Sacagawea to teach your kids how to blaze their own trail. And each book always has a moral lesson on the back of them. So you know, on the back of I'm Amelia Yard, it says, I know no bounds. On the back of I Am Abraham Lincoln, it says, I'll speak my mind and speak for others. You know, we did I Am Walt Disney, a best-selling book that we just launched, you know, and it was basically, I believe, you know, the person that can make dreams come true is you. Or Marie Curie to teach science. And I love that we've been able to kind of help people build libraries of real heroes for their kids and their grandkids and their nieces and their nephews. So amazing. So how old were your kids when you did the first one? So my kid, I started writing, they were, I think they were seven and four when I started writing for them. They came out when they were eight and five. And the funny thing is my old, my youngest is now as old as my oldest was when I started writing for them, but they still read them. Even my 18 year old still reads them. So my 18 and 14 and, you know, 11, like they are reading the books because they, it's the only thing, nothing I do impresses my kids, <laughs> nothing at any level. I can write a million thrillers. I can go eat it like at the white house. I could do anything. They do not care. 
but I was very smart is I hid my kids. I'm hidden in every book and I hid my kids in every book. And that guarantees that they will pick up my work and, and look for themselves. And uh, just so I can make little narcissists. Uh, no, no, but obviously <laughs> they, they like, they did. It's the one thing that I do that they actually like to read. And that's been obviously the best reward of all. Well, I mean, they're not really just for kids. I mean, there's stuff I learn in every one of those books that I didn't know. I didn't even know Leonardo da Vinci. I didn't even know da Vinci, that Vinci was a place. Like, I feel like a moron. I've gone to, like- Yeah, let's talk about the new one. All right, so the new one that is literally just coming out right now is I Am Leonardo da Vinci. And I, of course, started with, I'm like, okay, well, his family name is da Vinci, right? And, and I saw that and I was like, wait, you're telling me that Vinci is not his last name? I'm like, I bought the da Vinci code. I'm like, I write thrillers, all this stuff. I'm like- and his name is Leonardo and he's from Vinci. Like, I'm like, and like, you know, to steal your joke, like I am Brad, did Brooklyn, did Miami. Like, that's the bit, right? Like, and I was like, we have to put that in there. And we have more adults that write me letters, parents that say like, I just want you to know my kids go to bed. I reread your books and I like them. Like we sell more I am Lucille Balls to adults than we do to anyone else. And, and obviously why? Because I love these facts. I love showing kids and adults that, you know, and, and to me, we always tell these stories about our heroes, right? We turn them, we build statues of our heroes. We worship at their feet. We make them perfect in every way. And we do them a huge disservice because anyone you look up to, whether it's Abraham Lincoln, whether it's Rosa Parks, whether it's Leonardo da Vinci or Amelia Earhart had moments where they were scared and they were terrified and they didn't think they could go on, but they do. And you see that Leonardo da Vinci, when he's younger, he thinks he's a terrible painter. He thinks he's awful at this. He's like, I have no talent. He's Leonardo da Vinci. And those are the parts we always put in the book that are the most important, not where they're succeeding and doing amazing things, but where they're totally, utterly failing. Watching Abraham Lincoln lose eight elections, watching Walt Disney goes bankrupt with one of his first businesses. And they tell him he's so poor at that moment that he sleeps in, in a bus station and he takes baths there because he has no money. And to have my kids, you know, we all know like Disney has this great property and, you know, everyone go to Disney World and Disneyland and it's like the most beautiful place and wonderful place on earth. But when I teach my kids that Walt Disney failed, that the first Mickey Mouse cartoon was a disaster, that when Walt Disney named Mickey Mouse, he called him Mortimer Mouse. And his wife, his wife is like, that's a terrible name, <laughs> Mortimer, that's a terrible name. And he said, okay, what do you think is better? And she's like, I don't know, what about Mickey? And that's how the world gets Mickey Mouse. Not because America is the greatest country on earth, not because Walt Disney is always a genius, because his wife is like, schmuck, listen, pay attention. <laughs> and, and my kids are like, oh, so the first draft can be bad. I'm like, exactly. You got to work at it to make greatness. And I want to, you know, I want to teach my kids that you fail and you fail and you fail. But if you get back up again, that's how you fly. That's what this source has always been dedicated to. That's so amazing. I could just listen to you all day. This is great. It's like so inspiring. I feel like, especially now, everyone's talking about heroes all the time. What makes a hero? How can we be heroes? The heroes on the front line. And that's like what you've dedicated your life to doing is finding what's heroic about everybody and what's what made them that way and grit and perseverance. Well, and listen, that's why we call the books the Ordinary People Change the World series, right? I mean, that's my core belief. I believe ordinary people change the world. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care how much money you make. That's nonsense to me. I believe in regular people and their ability to affect change in this world. And it's why I believe in a seven-year-old girl named Amelia Earhart and a 10-year-old boy named Abraham Lincoln and a 12-year-old boy named Leonardo da Vinci who's scared of his own shadow and who thinks his paintings are terrible. And, you know, and even as they get older, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, just to focus on the new one, I mean, Leonardo da Vinci invents a tank, 
He invents a parachute that doesn't work. He invents scuba gear. Helicopter. He has a hang glider, a helicopter, like all these crazy things. And every single one of them fails. None of them work. They fail and fail and fail. But eventually, as time passes and technology catches up, every single one of them works. And my God, how can I not teach my kids that sometimes the crazy ideas are the best ideas? I need my kids to learn that lesson. I need them to learn like Walt Disney to fail. I need them to learn that like Marie Curie, who used to have like failure after failure in her experiments, that is, you know, they used to tell Marie Curie when she was a little girl, when she was growing up, the government said that girls could not study science. And if a girl studied science, it was bad. They wouldn't teach it to them because they thought it would make them too powerful. And you know what? They were right. They were <laughs> totally, utterly right. And that's amazing. And she found this place called the Invisible University, you know, the Invisible College, sorry, the Flying uh, University was like an invisible college, right? It's, this, it's called the Flying University. It doesn't physically fly, but it would secretly, while no one knew, teach science to girls. And she's there, falls in love with science, decides she's going to become a scientist, learns about elements, invents, you know, the word radioactive and radioactivity and all these amazing things. And then wins, you know, the first person ever won two Nobel Prizes in two different categories, man or woman. And to teach my, you know, her whole life, they tell her, you cannot do this because you're a girl. You cannot do this because you're a woman when she gets older. And every single time she refuses to take no for an answer. I need my daughter to hear that lesson. I wrote I Am Marie Curie and the entire Ordinary People Change the World series because I want my kids to have that lesson. I want my boys to have that lesson too, to see what a strong woman can do. Great. Now all I have to do is read your books to them. <laughs> You're going yeah, out doing no, all the work it. and I'll just profit from it. <laughs> I have to say though, that there's something about your books and even the show Jack and Bobby, which I didn't even know you were involved in. And I was like a huge fan of that show. And I think about it a lot. And the reason why is because I watch my kids running around and half the time acting like lunatics are driving me crazy. But I think to myself, well, you know, every president had to have been a kid at some point. What if, like, well, maybe my daughter is singing at the dinner table now because actually she's going to be Taylor Swift. And one day I'm going to say, yeah, when she was little, this is what she would do at the dinner table. Anyway. God, first of all, God bless you for watching Jack and Bobby. Because so we, we, when we got our ratings back, I mean, you know, the Entertainment Weekly put us on like the top 12 greatest shows that were canceled of all time after one season, which is like a list you're happy to be on, but you're not so happy to be on at the same time. But our pitch for the show was the same as the pitch for these books. I'll tell you what the pitch for the show was. I'm not, it's funny you just said that exact example, but this was the pitch for the show is there is right now a kid somewhere in America in a supermarket who was pulling all the potato chips off the shelf and throwing a huge tantrum and flipping out in the middle of that supermarket aisle. And that kid is going to be president. And when she's president, she's going to be amazing. And everyone would be silent when they were listening to the pitch because they're like, that's really true. That's the best part of America, right? Is anyone can be president. Any one of us has, we all have greatness within us. And it's, you know, these, these crazy things that we, as we kind of bowl through our lives that make us who we are. And the kids' books, you know, the Ordinary People Change the World books are exactly that, right? Like when you look at Walt Disney, he used to literally write, one day he painted on the side of his house with tar, tar. His parents are like, what are you doing that's never going to come off? And he's like, it'll come off. It did not come off. They sold the house with a tar, awful painting on the side of it. And the kid grows up to be Walt Disney, right? Abraham Lincoln has this moment when he's little. He's 10 years old. He used to love animals. And he comes upon a group of boys playing with turtles. And he's like, oh, I'm so excited. He goes to play with the turtles and he gets there. 
And he sees that the boys aren't playing with the turtles. What they're doing is they're putting hot coals on the backs of the turtles. They're torturing the turtles, make them run faster. And Abraham Lincoln's horrified by this. And I don't care if you're 10 years old or you're 50 years old, it's sometimes hard to do the right thing, but someone has to. And in that moment, he's like, take the coal off the turtle, stands up for those turtles. And to this day, my youngest son sleeps with a little Abraham Lincoln doll that one of our readers made for us. And he doesn't care about Abraham Lincoln freeing the slaves. It's kind of like too you know, crazy a concept for him. It's, he doesn't have a point of reference, but he knows what it's like to be nice to animals. He loves our dog. He cares about that so much. And he'll never forget that. Abraham Lincoln is his favorite present for that human, human moment. And you find that moment when, you're, when these people are kids, like that Amelia Earhart story I showed you. I realized with my daughter, that was the secret sauce of our books, is you always see them when they're kids. You see them screwing up. You see them making mistakes. You see them doing what they love. And that's how they have all their success. When I wrote, like one of them that I really learned it on was my daughter loves our dog. She's obsessed with our dog. Number one thing ever. And she, you know, made PowerPoints for years until we would get the dog, the whole thing, even when she was like 10 years old. And I wrote for her, I am Jane Goodall, because I wanted her to see, I'm like, oh, you know, Jane Goodall took her love of animals and became one of the greatest scientists in the world, just by taking what she loves and turning it into something that could change the world. And I needed my daughter to have that lesson of those things your, your kids do, whether it's your daughter singing at the dinner table or, or artwork that you're kind of like, oh my gosh, or a Lego building that you're like, if I step on one more of these, I'm going to put a gun to my head. But those things are who your kids are. And if you feed them and water them, they will grow in beautiful ways you will never anticipate. And that's what all these books are about. And let's go back to Lincoln for a second. We'll take out the little stuffed animal situation and turn it into now your grown-up book. And I love, by the way, on your website that it like divides your face and you're like, here's my kid life and here's my grown-up life because you write so many books of each kind. Your new book is also coming out. So you have the Leonardo da Vinci book coming out in April and then Lincoln Conspiracy in May, correct? Yep. And that you co-wrote with Josh Mensch. Yes. Josh Mensch. Yeah. Josh Is that Mench. the most perfect name. Jewish last name? It's a perfect <laughs> Jewish last name. You, you're going to pick a co-author, you pick you pick Mensch. It doesn't even matter. My, um, but my, jo- yeah, Josh and I worked on the History Channel TV show I did. He was our executive producer, amazing documentarian, and one of the best researchers and writers I ever worked with. And we worked on a book about a secret plot to kill George Washington that I found, that in 1776, there was a plot to kill George Washington. And I was like, you know, when George Washington found out about it, he gathered up those responsible. He built a gallows. He took one of the main co-conspirators and he hanged him in front of 20,000 people in New York City. The largest public execution at that point in North American history. George Washington brought the hammer down, was like, do not mess with me. I'm going to be on the money one day. That was his actual quote. And so I love doing that book. And so we did the first conspiracy. And now we are coming out with the Lincoln conspiracy. But Lincoln was assassinated. So there was Lincoln another was attempt. But the, yeah, but this is a different time. So this is actually about the secret plot to kill Abraham Lincoln at the start of his presidency that failed. And what happened was in 1860, Abraham Lincoln is elected and he decides that they're going to, you got to go and get sworn in as the first, you know, 16th president. You raise your right hand. You say, you know, I solemnly swear. And Abraham Lincoln has to leave Springfield, Illinois to go to Washington, D.C. to be sworn in after he's victorious. If you want to go from Illinois down to Washington, unless you're riding on a horse because there are no cars back then, you're taking a train. And the problem was, is everyone had the train schedule. They knew where Lincoln was. And the only way to get from Springfield, Illinois, down to Washington, D.C. is you got to go through Baltimore. So one place where all the trains switch is in Baltimore. And Baltimore at the time was a slave state. Maryland was a slave state. They hated Abraham Lincoln there. And so a secret society, an offshoot of the Knights of the Golden Circle, actually plotted to murder Abraham Lincoln when he came through Baltimore. 
And America's first private detective, a man named Alan Pinkerton of the Pinkerton Detective Agency, finds out about it. He works with the first female private detective in all of American history, a woman named Kate Warren. And they, along with the group of detectives at the Pinkertons, they infiltrate the bad guys, infiltrate the secret society. It's incredible to watch what they do. They make Abraham Lincoln, they grab him in the middle of the night. They put him in a disguise. I won't ruin the end of the book for you. But they sneak him aboard a speeding train to save his life from being killed even before he's sworn in as president on his way to his own inauguration. And the story gets lost to history. And I was like, we need to tell that story. And that's what the Lincoln Conspiracy is. So the Lincoln Conspiracy, obviously for adults, not for kids, but obviously a great Mother's and Father's Day present is what we're, we're hoping for. Nice marketing, like the, like the tie-in. For that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> when do you do everything? Like, I just have to ask about your time management. Like, when do you, do you focus on, a, like, just when do you get it all done? You do so many different things. Yeah, you know, I, the kids' books are, everything I write, I tend to write in one sitting. Like, I, I can't, you know, like, bop around to every different thing because you just wouldn't be giving your all and you got to give your all to everything. The kids' books are the one exception to that because they're not a 400-page novel or a 400-page nonfiction historical book with, you know, 50 pages of footnotes. Like, those need full attention for a year or two. But the kids' books are 30 pages. So those I can kind of do and section off time, and, I, and I'll, I'll tend to do those. And, and I tend to also save those for when there's something in my kids' lives that I feel like I need. You know, when, when my daughter was really going through dealing with the dog and some school stuff. Like I was like, oh, I, I got to write, you know, Jane Goodall for her here. She needs this right now. Like when we were dealing with like issues of equality, I was like, okay, it's got to be Billie Jean King. That's clearly what we need to do now. When the 2016 election happened and, and just the venom that I saw happening in society, we were just screaming at it. Whatever your politics are, screaming at it, the other side. That's when I decided to write, I am Gandhi. I was like, we need to figure out a peaceful way to get here. And so those books will, you know, take a, a different set of time. And, and obviously Chris Eliopoulos, who's our amazing artist, you know, our kids' books are, he's the secret weapon. And I, listen, I wish it was me as a writer, but what it is, is he, he has this art style that's a little bit like Charlie Brown meets Calvin and Hobbes. And the Ordinary People Change the World books, you know, I wish my kids were off their screens. I wish they were off their phones and devices. But the only way I can make that happen is if I give them something better to look at. And Chris is the secret weapon. When I showed my daughter that picture of the little Amelia Earhart that I had him draw for her when I was teaching her about Amelia Earhart, she was like, oh, she's so cute. I like that. I want that. And then I was like, okay, I got it. So Chris is really the, you know, so obviously I'm, I'm writing them, but then he's drawing them and we're going back and forth. But otherwise I really focus just on that one thing. Like right now, we, you know, I just finished a couple months ago, The Lincoln Conspiracy and that's coming out. And now I'm on the new thriller that I've just been full speed ahead on. And what, what are some IMs that are coming up? So, oh, I wish I had some here. I'll send them to you so you can actually show people. The next one is I am Benjamin Franklin. And then probably the most important one that we're doing to talk about something that I saw as a need is we're doing I am Anne Frank. Mm. And I just saw the rise in anti-Semitism. I was like, how do I explain this to my kids? How do I look at how we're, we're talking about immigrants and the immigrant experience right now? Like, how do I deal with the venom that we have for each other right now. And it's a really hard book. I mean, who's going to buy I Am Anne Frank for their little ones? But I was like, we need to, I don't care if we sell zero copies. I don't care if I have to give them away to every JCC and synagogue. I am going to do this because it's just what we need. And I wish I had for my own kids. And I will say it's just more like, it's one of the most special things we've ever worked on. Chris just drew it in such an evocative way, like go on our website and just see the drawing and 
you know, what we did is when she, it's just this beautiful light, this kind of like golden light. And when she goes into the attic, I had Chris, I said to him, here's what I want to do is once they actually go into the secret bookcase and go up into the attic, rather than having full pages, what I want to do is shrink it to like a widescreen little horizontal panel. So it's all black on top, all black on the bottom. Like you're just watching an independent film and the space that she's in just keeps getting smaller and shrinking as the book goes on. And you just feel that space getting smaller and smaller. And it's just, again, it's all visual because it's a, it's a children's book and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a cartoon style, but Chris just did something that is magical. Wow. So I am Anne Frank and I am Benjamin Franklin come out in September. And as you said, Leonardo da Vinci is just out now. Wow. That's really exciting. What do you think, who can be a hero right now? What do you think given this crazy time? What can we all listen, do? What, I mean, can we, that, what can we teach our kids about being heroes now? Like, you know, what can they do? Listen, I, I, I think two things. I think one, I think you got to teach them how the best heroes that we look for in history are just like them. And we talked about that, right? You got to bring Abraham Lincoln off his pedestal and George Washington and, and Rosa Parks, you know, was not some little old lady. You know, she was like young when she sat on that bus. She, like, you know, Jane Goodall was like with her mom and said, I'm, I'm, I want to go to Tanzania. Let's go. And Mom's like, I'll go with you because they said you can't go. A woman can't go alone. And mom's like, I'll go with you. You know, like these are human beings with real moms and real dads and real problems, and real fears. But I think oddly now more than ever, people used to always ask, like, are there any heroes today in society? That was like the number one question I would always get talking about these books. Are there any heroes left that are still alive? And I'd always say the same thing, like, look around they're everywhere. And I think if the virus has taught us anything, it's exactly that. It's exactly like Look around, you know, in New York City at seven o'clock every night, you have the first responders being cheered for. I wish that was done in every place in the country because I always, whenever I talk to kids in their classrooms and we've done a lot of story times we put on, on our YouTube channel and on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, but I always say the best heroes are the ones you live with. The best heroes are the ones that are your teachers. I can tell you, and that comes from my own life, my teacher, when I was in ninth grade, my ninth grade English teacher changed my life. She changed my life with three words. She said to me, you can write. I was like, well, everyone can write. And she's like, no, 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 you know what you're doing. And she tried to put me in the honors class. I had some sort of conflict. She said, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna sit in the corner for the entire year. You're gonna ignore every homework assignment I give. You're gonna do the honors work instead. And what you're really gonna do is you're gonna thank me later. And a decade later, when my first book came out, I went into her classroom, I knocked on the door. She said, can I help you? I said, my name is Brad Meltzer. I wrote this book and it's for you. And she starts crying. And I'm like, why are you crying? And she's like, I was going to retire this year, she said to me, because I didn't think I was having an impact anymore. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, you have 30 students. We have one teacher. And she had no concept of her impact on my life, no idea of her legacy or her impact on me. And that is true for everybody. Everyone, all, everyone listening here, you, I know, we all have someone who is the first person who told us we were good at something. The first person who said, you know, you, you could do this. My mother, you know, who never read a book in her life. She read six books her whole life. They were my six books before she passed away. Right. But when I told her like whatever, when I, when she read my first novel, I said, mom, what do you think? She's like, Bradley, I got to tell you this book, the 10th justice. And I'm like, Oh, here it comes. She says, is the greatest book of all time, you know? And she totally meant it. Like she literally meant that it was the greatest book of all time. And, and when you thank those people who helped you and who gave you a shot, you get to thank your heroes. And so I think it's, you know, whether it's, you know, your teachers, like I think always about thanking teachers, librarians, your mom, your dad, the grandparents out there, like whatever we're done talking to me, when this is all done, 
and the person is done listening to this podcast, like, I hope they take a moment. I hope you take a moment, anyone listening. And you know what? Do this. Find that person who told you were good at something. Find that first person who took a chance on you, who gave you your first real job. Track them on Facebook, put their name in the Google and say, thank you. You will not believe what comes from it. I love that. I'm going to do that. I have a bunch of different people now who I'm like, who, who should I pick? But yes, thank you. I'm good. Yeah, absolutely. we did that. And in fact, in the back of I am Helen Keller, we put that on the page because she has a teacher. And I said, it says in the back, thank the teacher, call it right now, say thank you to that teacher. And it was just, to me, the most important page in the whole book. I have, I have to say, been thanking my kids' teachers because I believe they have been heroic in this effort. Oh my gosh. So I, I have been doing that just, <laughs> but I can always do better. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Listen, I, my first novel, my first, this will reveal me, my first novel got me 24 rejection letters. There were only 20 publishers. I got 24 rejection letters, which means some people were writing me twice to make sure I got the point, right? <laughs> like, dear Brad, in case you missed our first rejection letter, that book was really terrible. Here's another. And, you know, I look back on the experience and I don't look back and say I was right and they were wrong and ha huh, on them. You know, I look back and just realize life is subjective. And whatever it is you choose to do, um, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, or stay at home, whatever you do, like, don't let anyone tell you no. Don't let anyone tell you no. I can tell you that when I got my 23rd and 20, this this will be the most revealing thing. Uh, this will tell you exactly who I am. This is my bit of crazy. So when I got my 23rd and 24th rejection letter, they were actually in my head supposed to be acceptance letters because they told me 22 people rejected the book, but 23 and 24 they love the book and they want to meet with you. So I was like, awesome. So I, I at that point, I had so many I had college loans to pay off. I had law school loans to pay off. I was just in debt up to my ears and money was really hard for my family growing up. So I was like trying to dig out of this debt. My agent tells me at the time, she says, wait by the phone. This was like pre-cell phone days. She's like, wait by the phone. I'm going to call you with the offers for the 23rd and 24th person. And I was like, great. My phone's going to ring. You're going to tell me how rich I'm going to be and how I'm going to get out of this debt that I'm under. And I wait by my phone. And the phone rings and I pick it up. And instead of saying like, here's what the advance is or here's how much money you made, I pick up the phone and my agent says, sorry, kiddo. And my stomach just bottoms out from under me. I'm devastated. And, and to this day, to this day, every single day before I sit down to write, we all have kind of our things that we do, our little rituals. Every single day that I sit down to write, I replay that exact moment in my head. I replay the, the phone that I was holding which is one of those clear see-through ones where you could see the wires because that seemed like high tech at the time. I replay and imagine the Formica desk that was on my left-hand side and the swivel lamp that every college kid has. On my right-hand side, I picture the bed with just a box spring. There was no headboard because you know we didn't have anything like that. I picture the balcony that I'm standing and looking over and there's a fire station with three little doors that are right there. And I literally close my eyes and I see those three doors and I say to myself, sorry, kiddo. And I say it for 20 years now because I never want to think I made it. I never want to think I'm ever as, as hungry as I was when I was in my 20s. I never want to ever think that I'm somehow like have finished and I'm done because the moment I do it and think I've made it all, I'm finished. So every day for 20 something years now, sorry, kiddo, sorry, kiddo, sorry, kiddo. Like that's my magic trick. And it just brings me back to appreciate every single day exactly what I have because I go back and look when I had nothing. And that is my advice is like, hold on to that. Like those hard times will eventually be the good old days. Wow. Well, at least we know you're not getting 
a big head about all this uh, <laughs> success. No. You're like, so one thing of being obsessed with history is like, you can't help but like know it. You know, I know my history. I know where I come from. Like I, I never want to ever be anywhere but there. Wow. Well, Brad, thank you so much for sharing all of this whole backstory and all of your advice and inspiration and everything. I, I really, really appreciate it. No, thank you. And thanks. For, I'm going to send you some story times too, because I, I think I, I think your kids will like them. They're really funny. I'll send you some. I would love it. Thank you. Okay. okay. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Brad. Bye. You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks again to Urban Sitter for partnering with us today and offering a 25% discount on Urban Sitter memberships with promo code SUMMER25. So anybody who needs a sitter or a nanny or anybody to help you, if you can actually get out of your house, go to Urban Sitter. This will be your go-to and lifesaver. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Mm-hmm.